let me ask you, since uh, you're coming to the end of your first term in Congress, uh, what have you learned? I've, I've learned you have to be persistent. You have to work every day to accomplish something. Uh, uh, in contrast to private business, you, you can't just decide and move. You've got to convince a whole lot of other people that it's a priority. And there are, uh, in the House alone, 435 opinions plus 100 even stronger opinions in the Senate. So you have to develop a consensus on, on what an issue is and what the answer, uh, answer to the problem is or the answer to the issue and uh, get people to work together. I did that in a career. It's just uh, the scale's different. Uh, but it, it, we're getting things done, in my opinion, doing more than most people uh, believe, given the, uh, uh, the way national media has portrayed Congress as being uh, almost like a cage match most days, which it really isn't. Give me an example of where you have uh, worked together with, across the aisle on bipartisan legislation that uh, benefited uh, maybe the 10th District as a, specifically or Michigan as a whole. Well, let me give you a couple I think are important. One is uh, I was a co-sponsor and uh, supported something called the Stop School Violence Act, which was to provide additional resources to states and communities to secure their schools better. To, pr- to protect our kids. That was very much a bipartisan effort in both the House and Senate. I was a co-sponsor of the bill and, and worked hard to make sure people understood what was in it and, uh, and supported that. On uh, even a more local level, I worked very closely with the governor's office, with the county exec, Mark Hackle, the mayors of Warren and Sterling Heights, to uh, secure almost $90 million in federal funding to match with state and local money to re- rebuild Mound Road, major rebuilding. Uh, that's so desperately needed for that road. Uh, I'm told by the Department of Transportation it's the largest single grant for a non-federal highway in the history of this country. The only way it happened was through a bipartisan effort, working with Secretary Chow, and then a conversation I had with President Trump as we drove to the, the rally in Washington Township about how bad Mound Road was. Uh, and those kind of efforts only happen when people decide to work together towards a common good to serve people. 81,000 cars a day go up and down Mound Road, and it really is and has been a disaster. Met with Mark recently, and uh, we talked about the plans and how it's going to phase out. So we're work, still working together to get that done. What issue, uh, as you seek re-election, is most important to you and why? I think there's uh, two issues we have to pay attention to. One is continuing to uh, keep our nation secure. Uh, we put up a fair amount of money, as a variety of people believe, uh, into uh, national security. But we need to spend it the right way. Uh, sometimes we spend... Approximately 20% of the money goes to bureaucrats. I'm, not, I'm, I'm absolutely confident that's not as efficient as it should be. It's one of the reasons the chair asked me to join House Armed Services Committee, was to work on that, to work on making sure we're providing the best equipment and some material to the men and women who protect our nation every day that they need, given the circumstances we face, and they're very real. Uh, that's a priority. The other is we need to deal with our uh, infrastructure more effectively and more cooperatively with states and local, local municipalities. I'm on the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Uh, this last year, we got the FAA bill done, which is a big thing, and we got some improvements in, in uh, air traffic control and a variety of other things done in that bill, even some things in terms of making sure they can't make seat sizes smaller and those types of things that affect us every day. Um, next thing I want to do is we need to do more with that rural with that infrastructure. In my district, rural infrastructure is critical. Rural broadband is a real limitation both for people who live there and economic development. But we also have issues with roads and water, t- water uh, safety and water quality. Uh, that needs to be something we do with states and municipalities. It can't be a federal-only effort, and that, that takes working to get a bill together that will, will encourage everybody and incentivize everybody to work together. Now, uh, when you meet voters in the district uh, as, you, as you campaign, what do they say to you? What do they want from you in Congress? What what's matters to them? Well, what matters to them first, uh, it, we talked about it before we started here, was uh, I ran a little differently when I ran two years ago as I talked about specific things I wanted to accomplish 
I was going to focus on in my first term. What have you done about that? And we talk about what essentially is, you know, my promises I made and what I've, what I've accomplished, which is most of what I said I would do. Then the question comes down to is how we get things to what I would call a, a level of civility. Um, the entire fresh, almost the entire freshman class signed on with what's called the civility pledge. We developed this pledge that was we, we would work civilly together to accomplish things. It's easy to be civil with a friend when someone agrees with you. It's not so easy to be civil with someone you, you fundamentally disagree with and are saying things that, that and sometimes even offend you. But that's what's most important. Uh, well, how's that working out uh, with uh, you and your uh, freshman uh, colleagues, Democrats and Republicans? Well. Extremely well. No, nothing's ever perfect. These are people we're talking about, right? Right. Uh, we've gotten more senior members have signed out of that civility pledge, recognizing that the tone sometimes uh, that we talk, not so much on the floor as we talk to the public about, it just is really over the top. Uh, and I think the name calling, the, some of that stuff, just doesn't productive for getting things accomplished. So a lot of the bills that I've worked on have been bipartisan bills. Uh, the one that was signed into law was a bipartisan bill with a Democrat, a freshman, my neighbor in the hallway in, in the office where we worked on a series of bills together on transportation and infrastructure because we thought these were important issues that we both cared about. A New Jersey Democrat and a Michigan Republican working on transportation and infrastructure bills. How often do you get back to the district? Usually every, every weekend, unless it's a very short week. If we run up to late on Friday and we start right up on Monday, it gets a little difficult. But almost every weekend I'm home, and then obviously when we're, we're in recess, I, I don't like to call it recess because recess makes it sound like you all go out and play on the <laughs> playground right. uh, on the jungle gym or something. We don't do that. Uh, parallel bars, we are actually uh, back talking with people in the district in meetings. And, uh, but when we do that, we're home. And I think I'm roughly in the, in the term – around 200 different uh, meetings I've, I've conducted personally around the district in the time I've been home. Uh, the staff are well over 2,000 uh, different meetings in, uh, that they've represented the office at when uh, I physically can't be here, which is, is a whole lot of the time. It's been the, I'm told it's the most uh, intensive schedule that's, uh, been, that's undertaken by the House of Representatives in a very long time. I would know I'm new there, but that seems to be, that's what they say. The reason I ask the question is because uh, I've interviewed the other three candidates, uh, and at least two of them have said that uh, you don't go to town hall meetings, uh, you're not uh, you're not meeting with people, you're not really representing the district, but you just said that, you know, you are back here on a fairly regular basis. Well, not only back here, but as I said, I mean, personally held over 200 meetings with a variety of groups requested to meet. You look at the people that have endorsed the campaign, uh, all of the agricultural groups, which is a big sector of our economy out in the 10th Congressional District, they've all endorsed me for re-election for a reason, because I am engaged with them. Uh, we can go through a list of police officers have, have in fact, Police Officers Association of Michigan has, in fact, endorsed me. Small Business Associations endorsed me. All the people that um, make up a big part of our 10th Congressional District uh, believe that I do represent them well. And I think that's the, that's the key question is are you reflecting their concerns as I do my job in Washington? Uh, that's what's going on. You mentioned uh, the uh, uh, rural broadband and sure. also uh, uh, agriculture, which is a big, I mean, Absolutely. a lot of the, geographically speaking, a lot of the 10th is, is farmland. Yes. Um, <laughs> what concerns, if any, uh, do you have about uh, the impact that new tariffs may have on uh, the agriculture, the farming industry in the 10th district? I think we see in the uh, the New Deal that the president's put together, and I, I've talked extensively back up, I've talked extensively with Ambassador Lighthizer, who's a trade negotiator. Uh, the one thing I'll give him credit for is he'll he'll make those calls. He'll, I spent 45 minutes with him a couple of weeks ago on the phone, just the ambassador and I talking about 
and the impact on agriculture and on manufacturing steel and aluminum. Uh, we've made real gains with uh, Mexico and Canada in terms of the agreement that's rolled out, it appears. I haven't seen every line of it. It's pretty extensive, but uh, the, I've seen the majority of it. It looks like it makes sense. Uh, my agriculture community is happy with, uh, with the way the deal's worked out. We've got some things resolved with the milk issue we had with, uh, with Canada, new markets in Canada, uh, higher domestic content in auto parts, and uh, we also protected jobs by requiring that um, wage levels for the for big part of the people producing those parts are, in fact, $16 a higher, an hour or higher. So we've done some things that are meaningful in that agreement. We're close to an agreement with uh, Europe in terms of a trade agreement there that will open up some markets and take care of that. So I think... On the whole, the, the uh, ag community in particular is, uh, is happy we've made progress. They also recognize that it's, at some point in time, sooner than later, we had to address which were some real imbalances, uh, some real unfairness in our trade policies around the world. And it uh, makes people anxious, change does, but we're getting there, and we're getting there because of uh, support for the president as he's drawn some hard lines and said, you know what, enough of this. We're going to have a trade agreement that's fair for everybody. Now, our listeners over the course of uh, the summer uh, have identified four issues uh, that uh, are most important to them. We've already talked about a couple of them. One is uh, education, uh, water quality, uh, transportation. Sure. And uh, the fourth issue uh, they mentioned uh, was uh, the uh, political redistricting process. Let's go back a little bit about uh, uh, transportation. You mentioned that uh, you've uh, worked to bring money uh, to fix yep. Mound Road. What else could you do in the next term to improve transportation in the 10th district? I think we have to look at uh, the broader infrastructure issues, not just transportation, which is a serious issue. Uh, we've got issues with uh, um, railway access and the thumb. Uh, the, the short line railroads have some issues in terms of both the rail quality as well as the, 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 tr the trains. We need to help them with financing that they need to, to improve that. It's available. It's not used much. I don't know why, frankly. We need to get into that. We need to uh, have a comprehensive package, I think, that, that makes a distinction between rural and urban infrastructure because they're different issues. We try to put them in one thing. It never works, right? Uh, that provides incentives for communities to invest in their own infrastructure. This can't be a federally driven program. It needs to involve states. It needs to involve communities like we did with the Mound Road, where, in fact, everyone has a piece of the pie in making Mound Road a much better roadway. So that's my focus going forward is a, is a, bill, on, is a bill on that. Uh, another one that I think is of value in discussing is I've been working with a variety of groups on additional resources and ability to fund and manage uh, enhanced school resource officers. My oldest son's a police officer. Uh, he was a school resource, resource officer, officer for a couple of years. They rotate them. They don't usually don't leave them there uh, to, to enhance that and, and fund more of them because I believe they're an important deterrent to violence in our schools, not just mass violence, you see large-scale violence, but the day-to-day -day stuff that goes on in the schools where one kid's whacking on another one, bullying, and they're in the school, and so my son says, walk along and say, hey, we don't do that here, knock it off, guys. Uh, so school administrators and teachers have told me that we need them in the schools, and, and we need to provide assistance for communities in doing that, again, to incentivize it, not design it, not fully fund it, but incentivize doing that for states and local communities that want to have more school resource officers. Those are things I'm going to pay attention to as we go forward. I want to ask about uh, school quality, sure. uh, the quality of education. Uh, how would you improve that? Well, I think we first improve it by we've already passed uh, one bill with additional funding for uh, enhancing and improving access to career and technical education. I've not visited uh, one employer in the, in the community in over 21 months 
that hasn't said they have a shortage of skilled personnel, from a welder to a heating and cooling tech to pick whatever you want to talk about. They just don't, they don't exist. And it's, really, it's hurting our economy. It's hurting economic growth. Um, unfortunately, we neglected that last 20 years. For some reason, uh, we developed this whole mindset that you could only be successful if you went to college or and then you had to get a graduate degree. And, and frankly, we all know that's not true, but we've, we've neglected it. So we put money as well as uh, changes in federal policy to encourage states to, in, to invest in local communities in expanding career and technical education options for young people. I, my view on education is a federal government's role should be to, to enhance local education and provide choices for people let communities and states make choices what they believe is best to educate their young people and not have the federal government do it. I believe No Child Left Behind was an unmitigated train wreck. We ended up testing, educating children to pass a test, not necessarily preparing them for life, but to theoretically pass this test. We need to go back to uh, state and local control of education that the federal government simply supports because we're in the game now. Uh, Since we're in the game, we we need to do that. What can you do? What have you done uh, in Congress to uh, protect our water? I mean, the, the thumb is surrounded sure. by, by by lots of water, and now we have this emerging problem uh, with uh, chemicals uh, that are commonly lumped into this category called PFAS. Right. That's one of the big concerns right now. But there's also, I mean, we've had problems with lead in the water sure. in Flint schools, now in Detroit schools. What can you do? What have you done uh, regarding water quality? Let's talk about what we have done and then what we do going forward. Uh, you're absolutely right. The, the Great Lakes is a gem of ours. We, we identify it as, as our big part of our being. Uh, water quality is critical to our health and well-being. Uh, one of the things I did early on when I got there, when the uh, Great Lakes Restoration Initiative was threatened to reduce it, I joined another bipartisan effort. We joined to keep that fully funded because that $300 million a year really helps to do a number of things to protect the ecosystem in the Great Lakes, projects in the district and projects around the Great Lakes. Got actively involved with efforts to uh, get the Army Corps of Engineers to finally get off their backside and uh, put, put out a, uh, their report on how it is we improve the Brennan Road lock system to avoid Asian carp coming into the Great Lakes. They were basically deep six in that because the state of Illinois was uh, given grief. Believe it or not, we're now at a stage that when they released that report in February, the state of Illinois has agreed to put up 20% of the money to do what needs to be done. We managed to, working with, the, again, across the aisle and working with the state of Illinois, I managed to get agreement that we're going to deal with Brandon Road. These are immediate kinds of things uh, that we, we need to deal with. The chemical issues in our water um, has been an evolving one for a long time. As we see more of it, we, we're getting more different, different ideas or different indicators. We aren't exactly sure even what the safe level of some of these are, and they're doing research on that, trying to figure out if you can identify a tolerable level of them. They come from a lot of sources, our industrial activity, shoemaking apparently on the west side of the state, we had an issue over there, uh, and some of our military facilities, where they, or any, any fire station that use firefighting equipment. I've been to Selfridge, for example, twice, talk with them what they've done about their PFAS issue. They're spending a great deal of money in terms of identifying what, where the sources are and what they can do about it, more than about anybody in the state is right now be honest with you. They, they actually set aside money to do that at, at Selfridge, separate from everything else. And I will, I've had conversations with EPA about expediting what they're doing to come up with a recommended level 
we need to we need to understand the problem and then protect the water. In the interim, we need to make sure people are drinking fresh water. The last issue that uh, uh, the listeners said they uh, wanted to know more about or, or was most important to them was the way the political maps are drawn here in Michigan. Uh, critics call it gerrymandering. Uh, there is a proposal on the ballot, number two, uh, to change the system. Uh, where do you stand on that? Well, here's the interesting thing. If you look at the district that the, is highlighted by this group as, uh, as being a gerrymandered district, is a district that is held by one of my colleagues who's a Democrat. Let's stop and process that. The people of the state elect people state reps, state senators, and a governor, and, a, and frankly, the secretary of state, that then goes through the process to determine what is an appropriate layout for uh, representing the people of the state, given that you have to comply with numbers. They have to be equal size. They have to be contiguous geographically. Uh, this is a series of things that are required, as well as the Voting Rights Act in terms of making sure that you do not, by virtue of your design, limit districts in terms of minority representation. When you do all of those things, you get some interesting districts, but Nothing that, if you look at the one district they highlight, nothing that's surprising given the current version of the laws. You look at California and what they did, they, they, went, to, they went to this whole new you know, commission kind of thing, and their districts out there look like salamanders. I mean, they didn't achieve anything more rational uh, th- than others. I'll make one other comment for you is that um, I have serious doubts that the, that the proposal is constitutional when it's implemented. I say that because... If you're a precinct delegate or you're involved in any way in any, elect- in any political party, your wife, your children are not eligible to serve on this commission that determines the districting. You're, they're losing their constitutional rights to be involved in part of the political process by virtue of something you did even before the law going to one of the books in the Constitution. That's an interesting 14th Amendment argument that I think is going to take up some quality time in the Supreme Court. So I don't think it, makes, it, may, it really improves our situation here in Michigan or in this country. It's going to tie up a whole lot of time as they litigate it. We've seen gerrymandering done by Republicans. We've seen it done by Democrats in Maryland, for example. Should should the legislature, should the lawmakers be drawing their districts Let me, of any, either party? Anybody involved in this process has, has political biases. They do. The question is, are we going to turn over the districting of the state for this political process, leave it to the people we elect to do that, or to people that are unaccountable? Are we going to turn it over to a bunch of college professors and hope they are less biased, more effective at it? Uh, I, I guess uh, the current system has served us well. Sometimes it's not perfect. Nothing ever is. God knows I've learned, learned that in the 21 months I've been in Congress. Uh, I, I, I think there are fundamental problems with the approach that's being taken. Uh, there may be other answers, but I haven't spent a lot of time beyond that, frankly. So what haven't we talked about that you'd like to add? I think, let me go back to, we talked when I ran for uh, Congress mm-hmm. a little over two years ago. Two years ago, ago. yep. And I, I decided to run after being in private business for 35 years and retiring because I believe that fundamentally our country was going the wrong direction, that we needed to get more people in Washington that understood how the real world worked, that had led businesses or had been engaged in business, that understood our tax system, all the things involved in the fact that our economy was stagnant, uh, that we were trying to regulate our way to a better country. And in the process, we were doing serious damage to what I call the American dream. I grew up the oldest child of seven. My dad was a, built trucks in the line at General Motors, and my mom worked at the Salvation Army. And only in America can you go from growing up relatively working-class poor and, and end up a member of Congress. And we need to protect that for our future, and that's why I ran. I think people got frustrated. I, we're frustrated uh, because they saw opportunities for their children and grandchildren going away, and that is a, that is a very 
dangerous thing for our country when people give up because they don't believe there's opportunity for the young people. I think we're in a better place now than we were two years ago, and I'm going to continue working on that because I think we can continue to make this country greater and stronger than it's ever been.